The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNOW presents New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com. So you can find out about me, my team, different offices of EP Wealth around the country now. Um, now, this last month or so has been pretty great. We've got uh, just when everybody thought things were going to be on the full decline, then you get these rallies, right? That's why I try to tell you over and over in the last, oh, I don't know, 19 plus years on radio um, to stop trying to time the market. Small adjustments are fine, but trying to go in all out is a fool's game. S&P 500 was up last week, but the percent of stocks above the 50-day moving average declined a bit. So keep that in mind. We've, we've had a, a big rally off our recession lows, but it's, it's kind of like we're still seeing some slowing growth, mediocre growth, things like that that I'll talk about. Now, through the close of trading on August 9th, if we look at some of the various indexes, let's start with the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index. If I look at uh, AGG, which is an ETF that represents that exchange-traded fund, total return is down 8.69% for the year. So the bond market even had a rally. It was down almost 12% at one point. S&P 500 is down only 12.75% now. It was down over 22% at one point this year. The Russell 2000 small and mid-cap is down 14% for the year. The International Developed ETF EFA down 15.77. Emerging Markets down 17.5%. And QQQ, the tech-heavy NASDAQ ETF, is down 20% for the year, but up 7.36% in the last month. So you had a tech rally back. You had the S&P 500 in the last month up 6%. Russell 2000 up 8.3%. So there's been a pretty decent rally. And if you look all the way back to mid-June, small cap growth, when I was looking at VBK, Vanguard's ETF, attracts small cap growth, is up 19%, and small cap value is up 12%. So there's were some areas I was talking about that were pretty unloved at one point, and you've gotten a pretty big jump out of those areas. So, so why are stocks rallying? Well, first of all, people are expecting the worst. Um, and as earnings reports have come out and economic news have come, has come out, the numbers have been decent. They've, they've been not surprises to the downside. Uh, so you have more of that case of the soft landing coming into play versus a deep recession. Uh, economic numbers that have been decent, ISM manufacturing, job openings, factory orders, durable goods, ISM services. Um, most of those numbers, well, job openings isn't a, a number, but when you get these numbers of uh, 50 or above, that still shows growth under that is contraction. 
And it's really ISM new orders. That was the one that was under 48. Unemployment rate went slightly down. So, so look, I mean, the market's no longer priced for a mild recession, though. And the reason why I say that is because according to FactSet Earnings Insight, and, and keep in mind now, we've had by last Friday, 87% of the companies in the S&P 500 have reported their actual results for Q2 2022. Uh, 75% of the companies have reported positive earnings per share surprise. 70% of the S&P 500 companies have reported positive revenue surprise as well. Now, we've still got the supply chain issues, right? There's, there's, we're still not out of the woods yet. And we're still seeing some demand destruction. So um, I'm not expecting to see another rally like this in the next month like we saw last month in any way, shape, or form. Earnings growth for Q2 2022 um, is 6.7%. So not stellar, but not all. It's also not horrible. It is the lowest earnings growth rate since Q4 2020 when that was at 4%. Um, fewer and fewer companies are, are kind of issuing guidance anymore. And so with 87% of the companies out there that have reported for Q2, 42 S&P 500 companies issued negative earnings per share guidance going forward, and 30 S&P 500 companies have issued positive EPS guidance. Not with, you know, 500 companies, and we're only talking about 72 companies here, not a lot you can glean from that. But what you can look at is the forward 12-month P.E. ratio, which is now it went from you know, 15 to now 17 and a half after this rally. So the, the price to earnings ratio, the price of the stock divided by the earnings per share. So if we add up you know, all the earnings, we're looking at 17.5. Um, it's below the five-year average of 18.6, which is kind of a higher end, but above the 10-year average of 17. Now, rates have come, come down. So a lot of tech stocks have gone up because they're sensitive to interest rates. Um, and that, that's the confusing piece that you look at, right? You're like, okay, why have rates come down a little bit? When the Federal Reserve and the market is really pricing in a 75 basis point rate hike at the next meeting by the Feds. But remember, they control the overnight lending rate between banks. That's what they're doing. The, when you're looking at rates, most of the time when you're talking about it in the market and how the bond market does, it's basically more sensitive to the 10-year treasury rate. That's a key thing that you look at. And back in mid-June, we might have saw the, the, the top of the rate increase um, in the near term, which would have been a, you know, in the sh- short term, a good buying opportunity for bonds, actually. So we, we, we topped out at what, three point, almost 3.5% on June 14th on the 10-year treasury. And we're all the way back down to 2.77%. We started the year on the 10-year treasury at 1.52% or so. To go from 1.52% all the way up to 3.5%, back down to 2.77, that is some massive volatility in the bond market, people. Bonds don't typically move like that. It's all over the place. We had a little bit of that, if we remember back to 2013, it was called the taper tantrum when rates jumped quite a bit, stock market declined, but then eventually rallied back. Um, and if you got the, the tenure at 2.77, you hear about the term, what's called an inverted uh, yield curve. So that's when you're comparing the two-year treasury rate 
So if you look at bonds issued by the U.S. government, you know, treasury bonds that are two years long, you're going to get 3.21% right now versus the 10-year treasury at 2.77%. So that's an inverted yield curve where you can get paid more income by holding a two-year bond versus a 10-year bond. And you know, there's all sorts of calls for recessions when that happens. But, you know, since we have recessions every, you know, five to seven years on average, uh, it's kind of like, okay, when's it going to occur, right? And there's a lot of areas that feel like a recession. There's a lot of families that are feeling a deep recession that live paycheck to paycheck. I can imagine how this felt when I was young, growing up, single mom. And I remember some of the inflation in the 80s and eating the same friggin' meal for <laughs> several nights in a row. Those types of things, just, you know, still lucky to have food on the table. A lot of families, it's, hey, do I put gas in the car and get to work or do I eat, you know, feed everybody today? So luckily, all of those commodity prices have come down. Um, so that has, has been a help. That, but a little bit is demand destruction too. And so the Federal Reserve needs to continue to raise rates to make sure that inflation is under control and to make sure that when we do have a deeper recession, some sort of a, a shock event that they have arrows in their quiver to be able to act. And so that's why the funds need to continue, or the feds do and will continue to raise rates. It's a matter of how much. So um, part of the bond market rally is just that shift in stance that they seem to have, but you know, that's, it's, it's fickle. Um, it is though a good point in time because stocks and bonds have both rallied now quite a bit since mid June. And so with where PE ratios have gone to, and if you're retired and you're looking at your longer term retirement plan and you do a reset, say, how much do I need? What am I, what does my portfolio look like? Now is a good time to really do a full review and rebalance after both asset classes have rallied. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email like John did here. It's chad at chadburton.com. He's a certified financial planner for, gosh, be, I think it's this month, 29 years in the business. Started at a very young age. Um, uh, chad at chadburton.com. Taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing. It's like basically any money question besides the individual stock buy, hold, or sell. Chad, my daughter is working this summer as a waitress. She's going into her sophomore year in college. She receives two checks, her hourly wage with taxes taken out and her tips which haven't been taxed. My question is, can the tip money be put into the Roth IRA? I don't think she'll earn enough to have to file taxes for 2022 as she'll be returning to school come September. Thanks in advance. Thanks for all you do. Sincerely, John. All right, John. So it sounds like you're obviously claiming your daughter as a dependent. She's still in school. And um, that's that's awesome. She's working. She's earning some cash. Um, technically, the tips you know, have to be reported. Um, and even if, you know, there's rules that say you do or don't have to file a tax return as a dependent, but I, I would still file if you're going to do a Roth. So whatever you can, so the Roth IRA, which you can put up to six grand into, up to the amount that you earn and report as wages. So if she, if she ends up earning and reporting $3,000 of her W-2 gross income, um, then she can put enough into the Roth to max that number that you'll see on the W-2, okay? 
and talk to a tax advisor about the how you report the tips and things like that. It's funny because I always joke about this. I mean, I've had, <laughs> it's kind of funny to say, but I started working really, really young. Um, you know, had to growing up, single mom. Um, they had a paper route when I was nine out in Gearhart, Oregon, delivered the Astorian. And then in high school, I worked at a truck stop as a busboy and actually made really good money, believe it or not, because I got to make a lot of tips. And if anybody's known truck drivers, they'll, they'll actually spend a lot of money and pretty generous on tips. And so the waitresses had to share with me. And then I pumped gas for a few weeks. So I was getting a, a securities license. And then in college, got my certified financial planner designation and have been doing this since the age of 19. So um, yeah, it's, it's uh, dealing with tips is... I, I'd have to go back and remember if I reported tips on my tax return, but probably not because it was all cash. So, um, but I get that question quite a bit from clients that, you know, their, their kids are working and they want them to start to save and learn how to save. And the best thing to do is a Roth IRA because you put the money in, it grows tax-free forever until you take the money out. So as long as you've had it until 59 and a half, and it's been, you know, five years since you've had it and 59 and a half, whichever is longer, um, you, you have tax-free money forever. And that's awesome. I mean, that's, you, you just can't, you can't beat that in terms of an investment in any way, shape or form. And so again, it's the, the, the number that you report in your return. And, and this person should probably still file taxes, even though they might not technically have to, if there's any potential refund or whatever it may be. Uh, people that don't make a lot of money and fund, um, Retirement accounts can all. There's a savers tax credit too. Not in this case because I don't think you can get that as a dependent. But it's very important to get those saving strategies going. The question is, where do you do it? Right? Where do you do it? So let's talk about beginning investors a little bit. Now, the best way to invest for most people is monthly automatic contributions. Now, most people do this in their 401k at work, but if you're, you, you're not working for somebody that has a 401k, then the idea is that, okay, I got to open up a Roth IRA and fund it on a monthly basis so that something's automatically going in each and every month. And this is where you have to learn about the differences between mutual funds and ETFs. A mutual fund, that's what most people see in their 401k. And, and, and for example, the S&P 500 fund is in most people's 401k. And that is a fund that invests in those 500 companies in the S&P 500. It's a basket of stocks. Now, an ETF does the same thing. For example, if you look at SPY, IVV, or VOO, those are all versions of the S&P 500 that you can invest in those ETFs and you have exposure to the 500 companies in the S&P 500. It's a basket of stocks. Now, the only difference is, is that a mutual fund trades once a day. You know, it prices out once a day where an ETF, exchange-traded fund, trades like a stock all day long. You could be in your Schwab, Fidelity, TD account, whatever, and be buying and selling it all day long at different prices. ETFs tend to be more tax-efficient the way that they're structured. But mutual funds, if you're trying to set up an automatic investment program where you invest a certain amount per month, mutual funds have always been the easier route to go. Because it's really hard to say, okay, I'm going to 
send $50 a month to my Schwab Roth IRA account and have some sort of an automatic investment into an ETF exchange traded fund. It doesn't, it, it, you have to go in and manually make the trade. So if you're trying to set up a monthly purchase program, you can either choose a mutual fund or you might have to go with a robo advisor style option. Right. Now, one robo-style advisor option that works well for beginning investors, and it's free, I think, for like the first 10 grand, is the Fidelity Go platform. The Fidelity Go platform uses Fidelity index funds, and it's, it's pretty easy to set up a one-time investment plus monthly investments into it. And you can open up, I believe, regular accounts and Roth IRAs. The next options for that, if you don't want to say, okay, I, I want ETFs, I want exchange traded funds, but I want a no brainer approach where if I'm putting money in every month, I don't want to have to remember what to go in and make the trade every time the deposit goes in. Then you can use some of the uh, robo advisors out there. Like, for example, you've heard Rob Black and myself talk about the Acorn app, which I use and my kids use. The Acorn app is. Uh, you can tie it to your your debit and credit card so that it rounds up a purchase. So in other words, if you charge, you put on your card a, a cup of coffee for $4.50, it's going to round up to 5 bucks and put $0.50 cents into your investment account. And they automatically use very low-cost ETFs and you, buy, you can buy fractional shares. So an ETF might be you know 20 bucks, but it'll buy a fractional share of that ETF. So I hope this is making sense in a short amount of time. So I'll have to go into it after the break a little bit more um, and talk a little bit about the cost. But Acorn, Betterment, Fidelity, GoFunds, those are all areas that you can look at for beginning investors to start creating portfolios so that they're just putting money in. It's buying ETFs or funds and they get to know what the market does and how it grows over time and how quickly, if you just even put 50, 100 bucks a month in, how it just adds up quickly over time. And it gets the kids to watch and learn about investments and it gets, gets people started. It's so crazy because when I got in the business almost 29 years ago or about 29 years ago, it used, used to cost 2 to 4% to, to go buy a stock. You'd have to call a broker. And if you wanted to put 1000 bucks into a stock, it would charge you like 2% to 3% to do that. And now it's essentially free. Almost free anyway. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all free pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. All right. So talking about getting started, um, as investor, as an investor, and low minimums, because I get this question all the time from clients and you know wanting to get their kids going. Um, and, and again, I think a, a really good no-brainer approach is the Fidelity Go option. Um, last I looked, it was like free for the first like ten grand. Another one is again the Acorns app, which I really like, and it does cost you know three bucks a month or so to set it up, but. The way the app works, the way that you can set up systematic monthly contributions that go right into ETFs, exchange-traded funds, and how it kind of forces you to save by um, rounding up your purchases. I think it's a great app. I really, I really do. 
Um, I don't think they're doing any, um, uh, I don't think they're doing any IRA accounts yet. Um, but they have basic ETFs, exchange traded fund index based portfolios that are well rounded. They also have ESG portfolios, and that stands for environmentally, socially, and, and government uh, governance uh, portfolios, where it's looking at companies that are screened at you know, how are they doing for the environment? How are they doing socially? Um, how is the company run? Is it just a bunch of old white guys or is it a diversified board, for example? Um, so check out those apps. You know, in the past, if people wanted to set up a monthly investment program, they would just find a good mutual fund. Like they go to Vanguard or T. Rowe Price and set it up so that it just goes monthly from their checking account to a Vanguard IRA that invests in the S&P 500. A, a good one to find if you're trying to find a, a well-rounded fund to invest in and you want to simply find something that you can do for 50 to 100 bucks a month. Um, the, if you go to The Balance, The Balance does some good um, articles on if you look at getting invested, get, get started investing with just 100 bucks. It lists out several Schwab and Fidelity mutual funds that you can add into. So mutual funds, again, for a monthly contribution are a bit easier than ETFs or exchange-traded funds. ETFs are better in the long run. They're typically more tax-efficient if they're not in a retirement account. Um, but in order to start buying those, you, you either have to do those trades manually every month. Every time you fund your Schwab, your Fidelity, your TD Ameritrade account with 100 bucks, you have to go in and place the trade in an ETF. So if you want to automate that situation, then again, an, an app like Acorn or, or a robo-advisor like Acorn or Betterment um, does that for you automatically. Um, Nerd Wallet has a decent uh, article on the best robo-advisors for 2022. Um, the One of the things that I've seen out there is SoFi, SOFI, which is kind of known for the student loan market world, which you got to be careful of consolidating loans in the right fashion. Um, they have an option as well that I haven't looked into as much. Um, and Betterment, you know, it costs... 0.25% a year. So I don't look at that as a good starting option. Um, they do, if you go through NerdWallet, I do see you get up to one year of free management for Betterment. Allies got one. Marcus has one. Schwab has the Intelligent Advisor portfolio, but I think that's got a minimum that's a little bit higher. There's a lot of ways to get started for free. And I think that if, if you want kind of a no-brainer approach to get going on it, I look at the Acorn app and the Fidelity Go as some, some good options to get kids or younger people or beginning investors started. Um, in fact, here's a, an email from Sky. I said, I, I, he's, he's, he's basically saying, hey, I'm trying to start adulting here and I want to set up something where I just set it and forget it. Um, He's was talking to Schwab. He says, I need, I need to find a fund at Schwab so I could just set it up and let it run. It would be awesome if there was some ethical aspects of the fund. I would like it to make money. I don't know how to evaluate the performance of the funds. I assume I would be hoping that it has a track record of outperforming the stock market as a whole. Um, or I could just buy a mutual fund that buys the entire market like the S&P 500. Look, 
when it comes to investing, the way that you can outperform, it, you, you say, well, I want to outperform the market. Well, what, what market are you talking about? The S&P 500 is large cap US stocks. It's mostly in the top 50 largest companies. You have small cap, you have international emerging markets. Um, this has been the longest run of large cap S&P 500 type outperformance of other asset classes in history. Usually over longer periods of time, small cap and emerging markets, for example, outperform U.S. large cap stocks. But it, it's usually like a rolling 10-year decade, a 10-year situation where if we look back uh, 20 years ago, there was a period of time where international and small cap outperformed large cap. But it's been opposite for the last 12 to 15 years or so. So if you want to buy a little bit of everything, then you could buy Vanguard Total Stock Market Index fund or ETF, ETI. That owns large cap and small cap and mid cap. So then you're just missing international. So the idea is you just want to get invested. You want to be a part of the market. You will participate in the market. The idea of beating the market is a little bit silly because the market's the market. And active traders, the more they do, the, 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 te- the worse they tend to do. So just buying and investing and realizing the stock market tends to double you know, every uh, you know, seven to 10 years, it tends to average 10 to 11% over a 20-year period, you're going to do just fine. Where you have to worry about underperforming or outperforming the market is in retirement. When you get into the point of, I've invested and I've created all this wealth, I've created enough wealth so that I can quit my job and live off of my portfolio. That's when the idea of wealth management comes into play where I want to participate in the majority of the upside of the market, but make sure that I have a plan or I do better when the market declines. So it's, it's a change of mindset. When you're younger, the volatility doesn't matter. If the market has a correction like it did this year, you try to buy as much as you possibly can. Because the market's positive seven out of 10 years, people. Seven out of 10 years. If you look back at you know, 15, 20-year period, any rolling period, so you know, pick a year and go back 20 years. That's what you tend to see is 10 to 11% average returns, 70% of the time the market's positive, 30% of the time the market's negative. So as you're younger and you're trying to save and invest, when you get those negative returns, those scary periods in the market, that's when you should be saving the most and investing the most. In retirement, it's a change of mindset. You got to make that money last like 35 years. So the idea is to build portfolios that don't decline as much as the overall market. They're more diversified. You're participating in the upside, the majority of the upside, and uh, buffering some of the downside. And you have a plan of cash, dividends, and interest, and other income to live off of when the markets go through a rough period. We could still be in for a rough period here. And so you, you have to realize that. But getting back to the main topic here, um, realizing what the, the easy ways are to invest now. It's so much easier to get started investing than it was several years ago. Several years ago, if you wanted to start investing, you basically had some of the no-load funds options out there like Vanguard or T. Rowe Price. But often, you'd have to save up you know, $2,000 to $5,000 to get into the funds as their, their minimum. And then once you got into a Vanguard, fund, let's say it had a $2,000 minimum, then you could start adding in like just 50 bucks a month. But now you could seriously go to uh, an app like Acorn or whatever and start with $50. And your $50 will go into 
about five or six different ETFs, exchange-traded funds to create a diversified portfolio. Does it cost you three bucks a month? Yeah, it's $36 a year. Big deal. That is such a small amount of money in comparison to how easy it, it makes investing. So um, that getting back to the Sky's question about um, it would be awesome if there's some ethical aspect of the fund. That's again, basically ESG investing. And those are where you screen companies for the way that they deal with the environment, um, how they deal with social issues in the world, and how the company is governed in terms of their board of directors and, and diversity, overall diversity. Um, and there's, there's some decent options out there. And most of these companies, I don't think, I think Acorn does as well. Um, so Acorn does have some ESG options. They use iShares by BlackRock. Um, so that's a great option. Betterman has it. They all, they all have them out there. The idea is you just get started investing. Excuse me. So, the one of the last shows that I did too um, is on fifteen things to do before you need to hire a financial advisor. That talks about some of these issues. I don't outright name any robo advisors in the download that you can find at chat at chadburton.com because you know they could change all the time. Like all of a sudden, Acorn could jump up their fee schedule or fidelity could say oh, i'm not it's not free for the first ten thousand dollars and so i don't want to name anything in that that article but it gives you some ideas of the things that you should be doing before you ever need to hire somebody like me or anybody on our team it's different steps that you can take um so for example i'm going to talk here in a little bit again about the mega roth 401k that I mean, you can do so much now in, in most companies' 401ks beyond the pre-tax deferral limit where you can add up to you know, 15, 20, 30 grand a year into a Roth 401k bucket on top of that before you ever need to go outside and invest in anything else. I want to ask you a question. Have you been sold life insurance as an investment? Um, the reason why I ask this is, I don't know if it's, you know, personal feed because you get stuck in these, I don't know, clouds or whatever they're called in social media. But I keep seeing these people out there saying, this is how the wealthy invest for tax-free income. And they basically are trying to pitch index life insurance policies um, where you invest in a life insurance policy and the money is put in uh, what's called, um, it's, it's a type of indexed product where you can participate in a portion of the upside of the market without downside risk. And with life insurance, when you go to take money out of the policy, you can take your premiums out first, which are tax-free, and then the rest you can take out a loan against the death benefit that's paid off when you die. The problem is, is that when insurance agents that are working on commission illustrate these things, they use really high rates of return that tend to never happen. They don't talk about, you know, they don't really focus on the part of the illustration where it shows how fees can go up and the participation rate in the upside can go way down. And most of the time when I'm reviewing these things, 10 plus years after purchase, they're very, very disappointing. 
very disappointing. And it's their life insurance policies are one of the reasons why, as I started in the business at age 19, started in the world of, you know, essentially financial planning back then it was all commission based. And I was looking at annuities and life insurance and I was handed a stack of statements that said, okay, go contact these people because you got to fix these policies before they lapse. And I'd call them and they said that this is supposed to be a big chunk of tax-free money when I retired. What happened? And I got really turned off and started analyzing those types of products and going, why, why are these being sold to the mass population? Because life insurance as an investment is terrible for about 99% of the population out there. The only time, I mean, the only time that I've recommended it is to people that maxed out their 401k. They bought as much real estate as they want. They've already got a ton of stocks and they don't want bonds because rates are low and you're trying to find a place that's in between. And again, you're done buying real, you don't want more real estate. then okay, maybe if you need a little bit of death benefit and, and some sort of a place between stocks and bonds, then it, then it can work. But I spend more time fixing these things than any, anything else. So be very wary. If you go to see a financial advisor and the first thing they pitch you is a life insurance policy or an annuity, they are not a financial advisor. They are an insurance salesman or person. And you, when you get financial planning advice, you want a certified financial planner that's fee only that acts as a fiduciary. So, and there are index products out there that offer upside uh, participation in the stock market without downside risk, but there's so many other fees and things that you can consider. And it's terrible for most. I mean, most people, the first thing that they should be doing is putting enough money into the 401k to get the match, then put the next $6,000 that they can afford to save in a Roth IRA, and then go back to the 401k and max it out. This is how most 401ks work now, you guys. If you're under the age of 50, you have to realize that between all money sources, you can, there, there can be up to $61,000 put into a 401k plan. $61,000. It's $67,500 if you're over 50. But I'm going to talk about for under 50 right now. So before anybody should be putting money into a life insurance policy, you can put $20,000, $20,500 into your 401k as either a pre-tax contribution where you get a deduction and it grows tax deferred or a post-tax contribution into the Roth where you get no current tax break, but it goes tax-free forever, which is the best bet for younger people. Um, and so then you often get some sort of a company match or profit sharing. So I want to give you an example of one that we were doing the other day where um, you know, this person was 49 years old. Uh, you know, Kids were done with college or college was totally funded and they had a a decent raise, and they're trying to say, I got to catch up for retirement. What do I do here? Well, they're able to put, their company offered the option to put in after-tax contributions to their 401k, and then they're able to convert that to a Roth. And this was at, I think this one was KLA 10 core. And so they were maxing out the pre-tax deferral at 20,500. The company match in their situation was 14 grand. The total amount that can go into a 401k by the end of the year is $61,000 for all sources, including after-tax contributions. So they're able to increase their 401k contribution by adding $26,500 after-tax. And then immediately inside the plan, the money's converted to the Roth bucket. So they're putting in $20,500 pre-tax 
The company's matching 14000 into the pre-tax bucket. They're putting in 26500 after tax. It's going converted right to the Roth 401k. It's called a mega Roth 401k, mega backdoor Roth 401k. Many, many companies are offering this now. Now, sometimes the after-tax contribution is limited to a certain amount, like sometimes 10% or whatever it may be. So this isn't the same for every company. You have to call and see if this is an option. But between the idea that you max out your 401k, you max out a Roth IRA, and you save at least one year's worth of income in basic index funds or some of the robos or ETFs that I've talked about earlier in the show, you do all of that before you would ever, ever buy life insurance as an investment. And then you would start to say, once you built that financial base and you had money outside of your retirement account saved up, you'd still want to start buying real estate or rental properties the right way before you ever bought life insurance as an investment. And there's, if you've bought it, there's things that you can do. You can ask for an enforced illustration to see how these things are going to really last. You can do, you know, re- reduce paid up. You can uh, cash it in. Uh, you still need the life insurance if you have a family. So you always want to get your term insurance in place before you do anything. But there are ways to fix life insurance products. You can 1035 exchange them into better products. You can alter the death benefit in some cases. Um, there is ways to fix bad products and get them into better products. It's just important to get fiduciary-based advice, fee-only, certified financial planner that acts in your best interest instead of you know, selling garbage products. That's what you need. If you want to find out about people like that, just go to chadburton.com. we got over 80 CFPs at EP Wealth. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. 